What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my fantabulistic, fantabulicious co-host, Grant Hughes. We are about to dive into another mailbag very quickly because we are pressed for time this time around. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you're watching this video or listening to us right this second. If it's your first time, subscribe on Spotify, Apple, subscribe on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, cross-subscribe. Be on the YouTube video platform and also subscribe to your podcast player of choice. If you've done both those things, consider telling people about us. If you enjoy this content, word of mouth goes a long way, or you could retweet our promos on Twitter. You could also um, shout us out on Twitter. We do bump those when we see it. And finally, follow us on all the socials at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram and our Discord channel. The link is in the YouTube and podcast descriptions. These mailbag questions all come from Discord. We I do venture outside um, to Twitter every once in a while to solicit just to make sure everyone gets to have an input. But we give priority to our Discord members because we never need to leave Discord for the question. So go join it right now. What are you waiting for? Our first question that we get to, the most important one, Grant. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for asking. And I've got an improved mic and I'm better positioned in the frame now because we've had some also important feedback that was not mailbag related. And so keep it coming. Like if, uh, if I, you know, if I fidget too much, I want to hear that too. Let's, let's improve the whole product and let's, let's make this a two-way street with the viewers and listeners. Yes, and if you ever have topics or questions you want us to talk about, one, join the Discord, but you should DM Grant at GT underscore Hughes and see how long it takes for him to get back to you, just because I'm curious how. He is in Discord, though. He'll chime in every once in a while. Yep, yep. Chime in is about right. That's about right. Um, And very quickly, uh, it's an announcement of sorts, but shout out to Ian Fowler, who is going to be cutting up some more social videos for us because vertical video is all the rage, and we're super appreciative that he offered to do it. Um, and so that's why you subscribe to YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. There will be some uh, unique content there. I didn't even mention this to Grant at the top. But, like I wanted to come up with if we're doing like start, bench, cut might be fun segments to do to post up on there. Um, so we're super appreciative to Ian who, uh, so look beyond the lookout for those clips and shout out to you. Uh, shout out to you, Ian. We'll have to plug his Twitter handle at some point. It's not for me. I think it's Ian Fowler 42, but I don't want to misspeak it. The mailbag though. Are you ready to cannonball into this? Let's hit it. You want, why don't you hit me with the first one? Um, yeah, I should bring that up, though, shouldn't I? Okay, Muckle asks, where are you at with the job that J.B. Bickerstaff has done this season for the Cavs? They've been a few late-game meltdowns, no doubt, most recently against the Kings, but I thought it would take longer to fit a major piece like Mitchell into the team. They aren't where they need to be yet, but they're ahead of where I thought they'd be at this point, and I credit J.B. for that. In my opinion, give him time to figure this out. The vibes are still immaculate. So it's an interesting question. I think... I, I would zoom out first and say sort of like where, what was the expectation? And I think we both kind of viewed them as, I, I can't remember, we'd have to listen back, but you know, somewhere in the, in the realm of, yeah, they're probably a top four seed in the East. I think that's totally realistic. Their floor is maybe sixth or something. Um, and so, you know, this, they won 44 games last year, right? Which big, big jump, huge improvement. They're on pace for 50, you know, maybe, maybe adding Donovan Mitchell, created expectations of something more than that. Uh, but that's, you know, a six win jump when you're already in the mid forties is a big deal. So how good, how good did this team really need to be? And then the other thing is like, I think we both, I won't speak for you, but I feel like evaluating head coaches is, is one of the most, we're just flying blind essentially. Cause we don't see 
how they relate to, we get some idea over enough of a sample over several years, like, you know, Steve Kerr or Greg Popovich or whoever else that's been with one team forever. You get a sense of like what their strengths and weaknesses are. Bickerstaff, I get, I get the points and like Twitter kind of blew up last night too, because they lost to San Antonio and were way down for long stretches of that game. And the late game stuff, I get it. You know, some of the rotations are tough. The road record's really bad. I don't know how much of any of those individual things you can pin on the coach. Cavs are 14th in clutch offensive rating, 20th in clutch defensive rating. Small sample caveats are like flying all over the screen right now. Maybe Ian can animate that at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But is it the offense that should be criticized or is it like hot opponent shoot? So here's the thing. I think expectations are sort of being met. It's a little ugly. Some of the ways the losses are happening, Um, but you are integrating an all-star. You are sort of fighting against the tide of the rest of the league takes you very seriously. Now there's all these factors. I I get it. If maybe Bickerstaff is one of those coaches that was the right guy to get them from really bad to pretty good. And isn't the guy to get them from pretty good to great. That's possible. I just don't know that the, the season to date has been like disappointing enough for all of the negativity that I've seen in the last, like really the last week, probably. Yeah. I wouldn't have anything to add other than I think if you wanted to blame one aspect, it would be the offense, which seems to, I know you're saying that the clutch defensive rating is worse, but there's a lot of noise in there. They are in the bottom 10 of turnover rate. They're in the bottom six uh, over the past, basically few weeks. I think their last 11 games when they're still have a winning record through it. They're figuring stuff out. Like, I think we've seen Donovan Mitchell go through the motions with some of his passes, too. I think when you're also trying to tinker with certain lineups, given the state of their uh, bench right now, when you're you're still waiting for Ricky Rubio to come back, give you that type of game manager. Dean Wade is injured. Um, You've been trying to figure out the three spot for quite some time. The players are trying to figure each other out. Let's not forget Garland missed a crap ton of time to start the season. Jared Allen missed a little bit of time, too. They They also are. We talked about this in the last podcast. Even though they have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, like they've explored a lot of what Evan Mobley can do on offense this year. And so I just view it as sort of going through the motions. And I was shocked. There were Cavs fans that wanted Jamie Bickerstaff fired last year or mm-hmm. after last year. It was like that team overachieved, even though they end up missing the play in when you look at all the injuries they dealt with. So I think whether you want to credit him for them, like having one of the, like this hellacious defense and being a top three team in the Eastern Conference, different story. But I definitely don't think he's to blame for their shortcomings. It's a tough sell, especially, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the, the, the Garland and Mitchell like injuries and the, you know, that was going to be a tough, you know, integration process to begin with. And then you have injuries crop up. The other thing is like, can we get a small forward that makes sense for this team? There, Lamar Stevens has been starting and, and I get the, I get it in theory, but you just need, I think you need more shooting and some, you just, you need like Dean Wade feels like the answer and he's hurt, but like, even that's, even that's an issue like there. And then there's no depth behind that. There are other issues that I think are contributing to what some Cavs fans perceive as a disappointing stretch here. But I mean, they're, they're on pace for 50 wins. Like, what do you want? <laughs> you want um, to take it to the next one. Yeah. I, <laughs> I want to do that too. So this is from Matisse Tybal DPOY uh, basically asking what are the most and least fun teams to watch right now? And why personally he thinks the Sixers are borderline unwatchable. Don't disagree. Uh, the horribly static ISO ball, it's kind of a, t- a dead giveaway for a team that's no fun to watch. Whoever has the ball has to make a play. Everybody else just stands there and stares. No creativity, no plays run. <laughs> and then he closes with fire Glenn Rivers. So we got two fire, fire the coach uh, 
requests in the first two questions. What are your thoughts? Most and least fun teams and why? I think, look, Philly's definitely up there. And I'm not going to lie. This is probably a little bit sacrilegious. But like, I don't really enjoy watching Dallas all that much. And I've watched a lot of Dallas. They're on um, my list too. Least fun. I don't like it. It's like Luca does a lot of absurd things, but they're just overwhelmingly predictable. Even when they're sort of hitting their shots, it's just like you, it's, it's just, there's the Harden esque factor to it. I also have not enjoyed um, this predates like the DeJounte Murray injury, but I haven't really enjoyed the Hawks this season either. I thought I was going to enjoy them a little bit more. Um, I think it's Dallas and Philly that were my least favorite teams. And even like, you know, who's been like kind of a slog this year that I thought I was going to enjoy watching them again, the Raptors. Yeah. Watching them has been 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 pretty tough. Yeah, the Raptors are kind of feast or fan because when they get out and run, it's fun. But the half court offense is just such a such just a I don't know. The gears don't turn, and they're the, just the, making me question too many things about Scotty Barnes right now that that it's making me uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. I ha- I also had the Hawks, and I think it's it's the through line is if you if you're it's really offensively based mostly i think where if it's one guy has the ball all the time and everybody else mostly just maybe someone sets a screen and everybody else kind of just watches and one guy so luca and trey young for example like you know the harden rockets were just horrible to watch and i mean this he's on the sixers now too and it's a your t- your turn my turn stuff that sucks too not a, don't like watching that kind of thing um who are you, who do you like to watch most these are a lot easier i think uh, the Pelicans and the Kings have been a blast this year for sure. Um, I've actually really enjoyed watching OKC in Indiana. I don't know how you felt about them. They've just been super entertaining. And I think Shea's a big part of the reason for OKC, but with Jalen Williams and like Poku for the through the start of the year, um, that team is just mega fun. And Indy plays super fast. Uh, those are probably my top teams. Memphis is always really enjoyable. And I like I don't know why I've necessarily enjoyed watching them. Maybe it's because I can't quite figure them out. Um, but like I would put them in a separate tier. Well, the Warriors are probably in their own tier because Steph is just God. And like, there's just moments. They have these high end moments, like what they did to the Celtics on Saturday, yeah. Saturday night. And then like the nuggets, I'm still just trying to, pro- they're my title pick. And so Jokic is one of the most entertaining players in basketball, but I'm still sort of trying to figure them out. And so they've been a team that like, I'm still trying to figure out Miami, but I don't enjoy watching Miami as much. Mm-hmm. No, I throw the jazz in there just because the oh, even yeah. it's not the Quinn Snyder offense still, but the ball moves a lot and they just shoot tons of threes and there's just kind of threats. I like watching. I actually like Walker Kessler too. I think he's kind of a fun. Just oh, I missed on him. He's been good. Yeah. Well, who could, I mean, he's a non-stretch non-switch center. How could you, but yeah, the, I, the Warriors are up there and the Pelicans, obviously we have, we have a lot of similarities there. Generally, if the ball moves a lot and multiple players touch it on possessions, that's, that's more of a that's a good sign, I think, for watchability. Just I mean, just because we're recording this right now, just absolutely wild that we're more than a quarter of the way through the season and the Utah Jazz have the fourth best offense in basketball. Yeah. Just just uh, not something I would have predicted. Let's get to this next one. Comes from Bauer Three. Who is the worst player that could have the biggest impact if traded to the right team this deadline? Like Buddy Hill, the Lakers, Cruz of the Warrior Warriors, Derek White last year, PJ Tucker the year before. I think for me, what this is kind of getting at is who's like a, like a non-star, like niche role filler guy that specifically, you know, wouldn't be great on, on any random team, but is going to make an impact in a way that, you know, the acquiring team really needs someone to make an impact. So Caruso to the Warriors, I feel like is just a, Cause it's almost like we've seen the theory tested with Gary Payton the second last year mm-hmm. and you just need the disruptive defender. They don't have that in the backcourt. 
you know, another guy that can handle the ball a little bit. Cause I think Dante DiVincenzo has his moments defensively and he jumps the passing lanes really effectively, but he's not great in one-on-one Caruso's just like, he's the, he's the put the clamps on guy. Like he's really, really tough against opposing ball handlers. That makes a lot of sense for me. Um, I guess, you know, you look at someone like potentially Jay Crowder, if he winds up on a team, you know, the a getting one, the yeah. bucks, it, it, get to the right team. That makes sense. But healed to the Lakers makes sense. These are all good suggestions, but Caruso to the Warriors is just like, they need a guy that does what he does. We know the value of it from last season and they don't have that guy. So I, that that's just the hand in glove fit to me. We both collectively agreed that Bojan Mardanovic and Kyle Kuzma were too high end for this yeah. exercise. They fit um, anywhere. Right. So I think my pick just going off, trying to go off the beaten path of what was like actually considered here. I thought about Gary Trent jr. For a minute, but now I'm kind of like, he's only played in six games, had the meniscus stuff. Now dealing with a hamstring injury, Gary Harris, Feels like he can come in and really shape shift and, and make an impact on the title landscape if it's for the put Gary Harris on Cleveland. What mm-hmm. happens? That yeah. would be a team. Um put Gary Harris on like I don't know, like even Memphis might have a need for him. Maybe not. Memphis might be I mean, put Gary Harris on the dubs. They they could use him too. Yeah, I mean Eric Gordon is uh, you know, feel like he's been he might be kind of too universal of a fit, but like if Eric Gordon's on the Cavs, same thing. I mean, maybe you want someone a little bigger, but wherever he's going to go, he's going to, assuming you need like a three point shooter that can hold up defensively against wings. Like, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. And he's far from a star at this point. I have, there would be two more. They both come from the Knicks, Emmanuel quickly and Isaiah Hartenstein, not off to a great start with New York. If you put like, what if you put Isaiah Hartenstein in New Orleans? We, we've talked a lot about miles Turner, but like, what if you went that direction with Hartenstein? Uh, yeah, you have to trust his rim protection and backline stuff more than Jonas Valanciunas. I don't really think that's hard to do at this point, even as much as he is struggling. He doesn't, he can't grab a defensive rebound to save his life apparently, but still. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've got another uh, trade trade based uh, question here from driving the paint. Uh, what star should OKC target to trade for, to put alongside their core, assuming they make a move this coming summer. I will not assume that they make a move this coming summer, to be honest with you. I like they're not a they, we've seen them cash in like conditional picks for Usman Jang. So I guess it wouldn't shock me. And Shea is so good right now that it's you would like to make a winning play. I find it hard to believe that they would do that before seeing what they have in Chet Holmgren personally. But like if I had to pick a star for them, I mean like I don't know. Like I thought I thought about Carl Anthony Towns for a minute would be sort of nuclear on this roster. I also, my really like my hot taking one was LaMelo ball. Mm. That would be a wild one. Um, there's like, I guess it's like tough to figure out the star availability. I would love, and this would be such a, like a, a thunder trade Pascal Siakam. If he becomes available, it's like, those are the names that sprang to mind to me first. I think some people might go because Shea can run point. Like what about Bradley Beal? If he becomes available, I just, between the contract and like, you already have Giddy there. Are you giving up Giddy as part of that trade? I probably would just because I'm lower on Giddy than a lot of others. Uh, but yeah, the, the other three were the first ones that sprang to mind for me. All, although this is my final one. I wasn't sure I was gonna be brave enough to suggest it. Trey young. Trey young is going to come up later for me, I think. Uh, so I had, I also had cat and Siakam on the list, I, I, but I I'll back up and say, I, I don't think, I don't think this is the type of trade that, that they're likely to make. And I was kind of ruling out like you, the Beals, Levines, DeRozans, like that type of thing doesn't make enough sense to me. Although 
man, like if Chicago could get a hold of a bunch of picks for any of those guys, I think there aren't a lot of teams that need that more. Um, Ananobi, I don't know. Like he's, I don't think Ananobi should be available. He probably isn't considered a star, but I think, you know, he, he fits anywhere. DeAndre Ayton, if this Phoenix thing finally does revert back to like the, it seems fine now and everybody's saying all the right things, but I don't know, maybe that's something there. He's young and he fits a position that they don't necessarily have, although Holmgren could fill that. I don't know, but yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. I, I don't think, I don't think they're hunting for, for like a the max salaried star or anything really close to that. It's just not, that's not how it's going to go for them. I don't think. And if they are, do you know who might maybe should pop up? Who's that? Kevin Durant. <laughs> oh man, bring him home. Would you imagine? That'd be great. Um, that was a good question. Next, next question comes from Torgruff. How crazy is December 15th going to be as a jazz fan? How crazy will it slash it should be? Should it be for us with trade eligibility? hitting that day. I don't know if the jazz have anyone who suddenly becomes trade eligible. That isn't right now, but for other teams specifically, that's when I think Bobby Mark said 71% of players are eligible to be traded right now. 89% of players will be eligible to be traded on December 15th. Yeah. Which, I want to answer this question first. You shouldn't yeah. expect December 15th to be crazy because nothing ever really happens on that day. It's just sort of this arbitrary marker. We all like to talk about and yeah. it gives websites an excuse to write about trades, which generate conversation for two months. Yeah, it's definitely, I agree. My first thought, you know, apologies, but it's like, I don't think it's going to be crazy at all. I think, except insofar as there will be a fresh batch of like fake trade articles coming out that can now involve wide notes. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of players that could, can now be moved for the jazz specifically. I think, I don't know about you, but I feel like my, you know, we, we talked about, I, I kind of posited that like, it's too late to tear down and trade all these guys. Cause they've already won enough games. They're not going to be able to get bad enough to get down towards the bottom the very bottom, but they're, you know, they've slipped there. I think I last, I looked, they were, I think maybe in the 10th spot, or, but it's like, what are they three games out of fourth or something in the West for, because everybody's so condensed. I just, I think you're, it's still very much within, you know, reason to say, what can we get for Conley, Beasley, Clarkson, Olenek, like those types of guys? I don't think they'll they'll trade Sexton, and I don't know that he's going to be a positive value guy at his number. Maybe I don't think you should trade Markinen. I think you hold on to him, and then everybody else is kind of young and or cheap enough that like you wouldn't trade Vanderbilt, for example. I don't think, or you wouldn't certainly wouldn't trade Kessler. So, I think the Jazz it's too late to get really in the mix for Wimbanyama, but it's definitely not too late to just get what you can for guys that probably are not pieces of, you know, the really good jazz team that may exist in three or four years. Um, but I don't think it's going to get too crazy on December for, on December 15th for them or for really anybody. Yes. If I was the jazz, I would still, and I think Colin Sexton would absolutely be positive value by the way, on his contract four and 70, if that, that like that's mm-hmm. the number or 72, whatever it ended up being. I would do exactly what you said. Like you still need to be on the prowl for, you know, picks for the players that don't factor into your long term. And if you go the Lowry marketing or Colin Sexton route, even I think that's, you would have to be bowled over at the same time. I would opportunistically buy, like if John Collins, value is really through the roof. Why not try and scoop him up? If it's really not going to cost you like a, a good first round pick or even a first, like the, the, 
the packages being floated out for John Collins, not just by fans, but by media members and people in the know, or they, they make me uncomfortable because mm-hmm. they just like diminished Collins to this salary dump, which we've talked about already. And so if you can be an opportunistic buyer, um, absolutely go that route. You can maybe reboot his trade value and you flip him later or, oh, hey, you have like this fringe all-star again who fits the motif of what you're trying to do on offense and play five out for most of your time on the floor. Or you could probably get away with playing him alongside Walker Kessler. So I would be, I'm probably a little bit like not as just because you can't get into the web and Yama sweepstakes right now. At least I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. I'm, I might be like more on the prowl for like, Oh, like where's this buy low thing? Or is it like, you know, are the Knicks really like, are they going to bury, they, they're interested in Kyle Kuzma when they have Julius Randall, they just going to bury Obi Toppin. What's it take to get him out of there? Like if it doesn't take a first round pick, which it should, but if it doesn't, why not just see like what he fits? And so even if it's buying on these, you know, you know, younger, second third red like a cam reddish like if you can get a cam reddish with just to like see what he can do inside your system not to name all knicks players so it would be nice i guess if you really wanted to buy you would go like lean into the the defensive stopper route which is something this team probably needs the most but i just don't know like who's out there that would be worth you know them actually going after you know uh, kj martin could be interesting but that's not like really fitting the defensive stopper mold for them so um yeah, I don't really know like specific targets, but like I don't know that they should treat themselves like a, you know, like a Josh Richardson might help their defense. But is that someone? I guess if it doesn't cost you anything, okay, sure. But like that's not someone you should be actively chasing. Or a Robert Covington, if the Clippers decide to make him available, those are like again, if it doesn't cost you anything, it's different. But if you're gonna buy, buy on these second, third draft guys, or you're stumbling into like the John Collins esque opportunity. Yeah, I think it's a really good. That's a really good point. I think basically the Jazz should be in the upside game business, like you, which means you know you roughly know what Beasley, what Conley, what Clarkson, what Olenek, you know what those guys can do, and like it's it's great because it's it's fine. I mean, it's better than fine because it's gotten the Jazz. They've all been contributors, and the Jazz being a big surprise and having a lot of success. But like, if look at look at exchanging one of those sort of known commodities with relatively understood and not super high ceilings for like for Collins is a perfect example. He's basically a distressed asset right now. Like that's the type of guy you go for. Even reddish is another, like maybe it clicks somewhere or maybe you, you, I I mean, I don't know if the warriors are interested, but like you think about trying a Wiseman or a Moses Moody guys that just still have, you know, some measure of upside low odds maybe to hit it, but in the jazz's position, why not? You know, or you just try and get involved where in, you know, we're talking about the Jay Crowder report that came out where I think he was ultimately headed to, uh, was it Atlanta in that? Tra- what, there's been so many different Jay Crowder center. We know Miami and Atlanta are like super interested, but there was like these third team scenarios. You can also just be the team. You have some of these expiring contracts. Like let's use Olenek as an example. You're probably not married to him, even though like he's been good for you. Can you use him, take back longer term money, and then just acquire more assets? Like you haven't moved the needle in either direction for your team this season, and you've just accumulated more assets without actually selling off. And so I think you, if I'm the Jazz, I approach it that way. I don't look at it as we need to tear down. I think you can still get value for Beasley with his team option this summer because they have him under control. And like Conley's contract is not going to get any better or worse. I mean, if anything gets better because he'll be entering the final year, assuming they fully guarantee it. So if I'm the Jazz, like I'm not, I have to be bowled over by offers at this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, like you said, you're in the upside game. And so whether that's a younger player or an entrenched impact veteran who's maybe fallen off, I think that's the, the route that you go. And if you can't, then look at, you know, we do have some, like, they don't want to move Jordan Clarkson. But so, like, even if you're moving a, a Conley, um, but like I said, a Linux before, or even a, 
you know, was Rudy Gay's like you can step ladder your way to getting bigger salaries that are, I guess, worse than Rudy Gay's or worse than what you have on your books to get more pick and prospect equity. Maybe that's something to, to look at. Yeah. Um, got a bigger trade question here from Jolt the Goat. Is this summer finally going to bring the first LeBron trade? Uh, presumably first LeBron Lakers trade. He's still good, but the Lakers aren't good enough. Although I guess he never has been traded. I don't know why I keep thinking of his final trades to Miami. Yeah. No. Okay. So anyway, the point, <laughs> point is he's still good, but the Lakers aren't good enough to compete and they aren't close enough to be willing to trade their far future first. Also, who would, who would trade for LeBron knowing they're, that's important. Who would trade for him knowing they're getting a version of him closer to a third scoring option than a primary option. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, <laughs> What just let's unpack it like the, Le, the LeBron trade idea plausible. Who wants them? Is it going to happen? I think it only happens if he asks for it. I think it's I don't know why the Lakers would even just from a gate revenue perspective, why they would do that. And there's also an inherent risk rebuilding around Anthony Davis. He's playing great right now, but this has been his performances aren't necessarily they're fleeting because there's always something that happens where it feels like he get he gets injured and has to start from square one again, or it's just unsustainable shooting on these really difficult looks. So I would bet against LeBron trade. And also as of right now, unless they do do something to take on money, like they're in line for 30 plus million dollars in cap space. That's not enough to necessarily go out and choose whoever they want. But one, the free agency market isn't built like that anymore. Could that get them Kyrie? Could that get them? You know, they're talking about trading for Kuzma. They go out and just sign Kuzma this summer. Like they don't need to necessarily give up equity for him. And if you do keep your picks, I think that a lot of that goes into it. If they're trading the picks now, they're keeping him. If they don't trade the picks, well, now you've opened up, like you're going to get to a point where you could trade a 2030 first round pick if you really wanted to. So I don't think they'll move him. If they did move him, it's tough to figure out a destination because he's going to have the ultimate say over it. And it will also have to be a team that's willing to take a risk and abridge their timeline. And one that LeBron also wants to play for. I have no doubt in my mind that he would want to go to the Warriors would be like my, that's where he would want to be um, until his contract is up. But like, you know, if there was like a team out there that could just acquire him and didn't care, Denver, like if you work something in with maybe a Michael Porter Jr. or Memphis, imagine LeBron in Memphis. Perhaps you're worried about him taking the ball too much out of um, John Morant's hands there. He'll probably want to go back to Cleveland, but at this point, like you can't trade any of your core pieces to get LeBron and Kevin Love's contract will be off the books by then. So I like, I don't know, honestly. I guess if I had to pick, it feels like it'd be a team like maybe the Knicks just think oh, like, Oh, like when they traded for T-Mac, when they were trying to clear cast space, it was like age 48 T-Mac. And they're like, look, we got T-Mac. And I was, I think I was at his first game that he played for the Knicks. And they like, we're marketing him as like, we're going to make this playoff push with T-Mac. So you do something similar higher end with LeBron. I would just say, I don't even Would the Warriors trade for LeBron. If you wanted to go there, honestly, you would have to give up Dre clay or Wiggins to make it happen. No. Yeah, that's my first question would be how and and what I, I how are you selling that to the Lakers as a as an like just because I agree, first of all, that it's not happening. I don't think I don't think LeBron will be traded again, like full stop. And it's built into that is because he would have to ask for it. And then you'd have to get over all these hurdles of, well, who what team if you're trading for LeBron, you're like, it's this year because there's nothing promised beyond like there's nothing promised beyond like next month when you're 20 seasons in. So you have to be just full, like full bore. We got to win right now immediately, but also that presumes you're a very good team. And it also presumes you're willing to just like completely reshape kind of the whole 
like tenor and the whole like hierarchy, everything about your whole franchise changes. If LeBron James is on the team, that's not his fault. That's just what will happen. And, and there will be constantly, you know, there'll be new questions about, well, what's the role going to be the, the, the attention. There's just so many things that go into adding him in addition to what do you give up for a guy that has like, is really his, his post, post, post prime years are kind of measured in like, months or like weeks at the, like i'm just right. that's what it is he's he's a really good player still but like i just don't see the destination so i think he's just going to be on the lakers for for the duration you know barring like somehow he goes back to cleveland on to, to retire a cavalier or something like that but um i don't i don't think we'll see a trade i think i still think if the lakers are going to sort of reposition themselves it's got to be Anthony Davis, but he's played so well that I just don't, I don't see why you would trade him now. So I, so I just, I don't see it. I can't even imagine them repositioning themselves around Anthony Davis in the sense of let's trade LeBron. If I feel like if they're trading, if you're trading Anthony Davis, just trade LeBron. But if you're sure. trading LeBron, I'm also kind of like, you might as well just trade Anthony Davis. because I don't know how long it's going to take you to rebuild a meaningful team around him. The team that's kind of staring us in the face. If it's just money and picks Dallas's obligations reset after this year. And there's definitely the urgency to win with Luca. Maybe LeBron would want to play with Luca. That could be a team that they're going to hamstring themselves again, and they're really tethering themselves to a tight window. But they might be a team that I could see giving up. And I'm just assuming any LeBron trade, if the Lakers are doing it, is just looking like salary and picks. Yeah, I, I agree. Because if you're trading him, you're saying winning in the immediate is no longer our priority. Yeah. yeah. He'd be a pretty good secondary ball handler. I think that would finally answer the Luca needs a secondary ball handler question. That would be that would be send him to Atlanta and Philly as well, so that we can get the verdict on James Harden and Trey Young. Perfect. Next, oh wait, did I? No, that was your question that you asked. So next question also came from Joltago, and I'm glad that I ended up I ended up here asking you this one because I know that you just did a deep dive into this. Also, have the Nets made their way all the way back around to title contender again since Kyrie's return to the lineup? They are. Top seven in offense, top seven in net rating, second in true shooting, first in effective field goal percentage, fifth in opponent effective field goal percentage, and second in wins. The offense has been offense, and the defense has been league average. They still fall short, fall short of the true contenders, but they suddenly have a pulse after seemingly being dead. And this is all despite rolling the corpse of Ben Simmons out for 27 minutes a game. Wow. Oh, by the way, Nick Claxton averaging 2.2 blocks per game is wild. Nick Claxton, my input is Nick Claxton has been very, very good. They lead the league in blocks, period. I'm pretty sure they said on the broadcast last night. So, uh, yeah, this is almost exactly what I what I wrote about after uh, they beat the Wizards last night. So that just for some background, they've won eight out of nine. Um, they're fourth in the East right now, which I had to like double and triple take that right. just because we pronounced them. I don't know. It's interesting because we didn't. So here the, the answer is like short of Boston and, and Milwaukee. I think they're as dangerous as anybody like with upside. Um, and it's a, now the comeback to that is they've beaten basically nobody during this stretch. So I, I think the Blazers, so this eight and one stretch started on November 27th with a win over the Blazers. Damian Lillard did not play in that game. That's the only team that they've beaten in this run that has a winning record today. Some of them were around 500 or better at the time, but like, and they got beat by Boston right in the middle of that eight and one stretch. So it's real hard to judge. What I would say is Durant is averaging like 32 on 63% shooting. Irving's at 25 and a half, just under 50% shooting. Harris and Curry are making threes. Ben Simmons has been in and out, but he had his best stretch of the season 
prior to this run starting where he was, you know, still not Sixers Ben Simmons, but productive and contributing and doing the types of things that you would want him to do uh, defensively rebounding, pushing the tempo, that kind of thing. And I had this thought last night, like, you know, you see TJ Warren out there who looks like he's lost 25 pounds since we last saw him. And there's just talent everywhere. Like Yuta Watanabe is kind of a forgotten guy, but he actually contributes. You've got Joe Harris, Curry, Royce O'Neal will be back. There's just like 10, 11 guys that you can put out there now, all of whom have to be accounted for or bring something to the table. So there is, it was never about talent. It was, and it looked impossible for most of the off season and early this year. Can they just like, how does the team stay together? Like what incentive is there for the front office to not blow it up? Does anybody want to play with Kyrie? Like there's just all these crazy things that happened and they kind of got through it. It seems like there's a measure of calm now that certainly winning eight out of nine games contributes to. And maybe that changes if, if the losses start to mount when the schedule toughens up, but like, as long as this team doesn't just explode, you know, or get another trade demand or something um, there's, there's to me, there's not a question that they can be a top four team in the East. I mean, you gotta be better than, you know, the Sixers and or the Cavs and maybe Miami figures it out or Serrano or whatever. But um, yeah, I think, I think most of this is like, you can kind of, you can kind of look seriously at the Nets right now and, and they're not, they're, they're pretty good. Like they're not, you know, third or fourth best title odds, like they were before all the nonsense started, but maybe they're seventh or eighth right now. And that's, that's not that far off really. No, I just, and I wrote about this when I was doing my MVP ladder and I put Kevin Durant, I think he was 10th or ninth. I just, I don't trust the nets. It's not that I don't trust Kevin Durant. I look, you outlined the depth. Uh, you don't want to by the way, 72.7% on corner threes this year, 52.1% from three overall. He's been incredible for them. I just, I don't know why you would trust this team and maybe we'll learn a little bit more about them and that they have the, you know, the triple header on NBA TV versus golden state on the 21st, Milwaukee on the 23rd and then Cleveland on the 26th. So maybe we learn a little bit more about them during that stretch. Um, but like things don't, I'm like looking at their schedule and I guess things don't, they never seem to get like super hellacious for them. There's always like, okay, they play like two or three good teams in a row, but then they have, they get to face the Pistons or the Knicks or the, or the Lakers. I'm just wake me up in 2023, like closer to the trade deadline, if they're still doing this. Um, and I just, I still, they could be first in the East. And my belief is, and maybe this is, I don't think it's irrational and I don't think it's unfair either, but my belief would just be that something is going to happen mm-hmm. that will submarine this team because that is what happened at every single turn so far. And so why should we believe otherwise? They've had good stretches before. Remember when Harden first came over and it just looked like when the the few occasions we saw him, Kyrie and Kevin Durant play together, it just felt like this was inevitable that the title had already been won. Mm-hmm. So on paper, the Nets might be contenders again in practice to me. No, I, I think some of it is just how shocking it is that all these guys are still here. Like that, <laughs> that's amazing. I just can't. And, and sort of brings about like an anything's possible, you know, if they could get through all that, how, like what can't this team do? It's cut in Kevin weird. Garnett. Anything's <laughs> possible. We cannot get our, well, <laughs> we cannot get all of our stars traded and our GM fired. I think, it was never the bottom line for me. And I think you'd agree. It's like, it was never about talent. You know, there was never a question of like, do they have enough good players and stars to contend? It was just like, how on earth is this thing not going to just 
form a mushroom cloud, you know, every two weeks and, and stay together. Um, I got the next one for you. Uh, this is from JT Alexander. Should Zach Levine be up for trade discussions as DeMar and Vucevic are? He's not shooting great at the moment. And with his athleticism, not what it was, that contract could look very bad, very quick for what it's worth. His shooting will improve, but I don't see where the bulls are heading. So it'd be interesting to see what his trade value is. And we had one that's related to it right below it. I don't know if you oh, see yeah. it. Let's, let's, let's build that in. Cause we may as well. This is uh, from an unknown source on Discord, I think. Who I says apologize. Those? I can't remember. I remember seeing it and think I need to add this to the mailbag, and then I never did. But I know the question existed. Yeah. Well, pipe up in Discord if this is you. Who says no to a Levine for Michael Porter Jr. swap? So what's interesting – so let me start with the should the Bulls trade Zach Levine or blow it up. I go back and forth. I would say no because what value you're going to get for Zach Levine – right now in the first year of this deal, the knee stuff is still so fresh. He does not look like he has the same level of just explosion or ability to get to the rim or even just sort of the same pop on when he's working off the dribble. And maybe you're worried about that getting worse, but I don't know, like, what are you, what are you getting from at this point? And the other thing is just like, yeah, there's value in, okay, just tank, 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 but your pick is top four protected to Orlando. Assuming you can still finish with one of the league's four worst records, you have about, a little bit better than a coin tosses chance of keeping that pick. And there's, you could write it off as a sunk cost. Like that. It doesn't have to be about the optics of, Oh, we sent them 11 instead of like seven or something. So I get that. And you can make the end the, excuse me, you can make the decision to blow it up independent of that. But like, what are you like? What are you actually getting to restock the cupboard here? If there's a, if there's a genuine Levine offer on the table, that's going to restock your cupboard. Yeah, consider it because I think the Bulls are just consigned to the middle at this point. If there's a real offer for DeMar DeRozan, yeah, consider it. I just don't know that you're going to get enough to adequately restock the cupboard. And so you're almost just kind of like, let's see if things get like, what if Lonzo comes back? Let's see what we are there. Is it really worth moving Caruso just so we can get this late first round pick and or and then improve the pick that we're sending to Orlando, theoretically? Um, for Zach Levine and Michael Porter Jr., I'd argue that's the exact type of trade that the bulls should not be making where you're sort of locking yourself into just another mystery box, but it's an interesting like exercise in the sense that, so the Levine contract, he is after this one, four years and 178 million left on his deal player option on the final season. It takes him through his age 31 season, the MPJ contract four years and 119.6 million left after guaranteed after this, but it's because only 12 million of the 40.6 million in the final year is guaranteed. That's his age 28 season. 19 million guarantees if he makes an all-star team and then it fully guarantees if a various number of things potentially happen. I don't know, like, I don't like that trade for either team just because I guess Zach Levine in theory is an upgrade over Michael Porter Jr., but Michael Porter Jr. probably gives you more of what you need come playoff time for his size and ability to shoot over all these other guys where there's a little bit too much overlap for Levine and Murray. Levine has shown he can play off the ball. I want to make that clear. Like, he just plays off the ball, plays off DeMar DeRozan all the time. But like if I'm the Nuggets simultaneously getting older and with someone who might be just as big of an injury risk at this point, even if he's the better player and he doesn't address your look, Michael Porter Jr. is the better defensive playmaker than Zach Levine right now. Zach Levine is the better offensive playmaker by miles. Zach Levine's not addressing your greatest weakness right now. You don't have to worry about your playoff offense holding up in, in the postseason crucible. Yeah, I, I think I so I think I said this earlier, but 
if I'm the Bulls, like I think everybody should be on the table, but I think Levine is probably the last guy of your like big money players that you'd want to move just because, and you said it, like his value right now, you certainly would hope is about as low as it's going to be on this contract. I think you could sort of charitably say that, you know, coming back from knee surgery, maybe he's just not all the way back. Maybe this isn't like the baseline now. Maybe it's going to take until January, February for him to feel all the way right. But his two-point shooting is worse. Like he's getting to the rim less than he has in a long time. He's not finishing as well as he did even last year when he was battling knee stuff around the rim. So if you just to, to tie that in, if you can trade him for a bunch of picks, awesome. Like, but you you've outlined all that. I do think the that if we're if, to hit the second one, if you're trading, if, if it's a who says no, I think the Bulls probably have to say no. But it also is kind of a weird fit because in theory, Levine on the Nuggets would be in kind of the same role as Porter Jr. And like he would probably be worse at it just because what you want is some defensive playmaking and catch and shoot stuff. And like there just aren't a lot of guys, I think, in the league that are more dangerous catch and shoot guys than, than Porter. So um, I, I get I get where the question's coming from, though, because Levine feels kind of like a like a microcosm of what's going on with the bulls where they're expensive. They're not quite good enough and they're kind of at the wrong spot on the age range. So I, I get, I get the wanting to entertain it, but I just think the bottom line is like, you got to believe you're going to be able to get more for him in the summer or a year from now or whatever. If, if, if it's going to come to that, I think, I think you probably want to wait, look for DeRozan and Vucevic for sure. If you want to trade those guys, but hang on for a while. So you're just team. You should consider everything that's on the table, even though you have the top four protected pick over to Orlando. It's not yeah, let's try to regroup next season, not convey it. It's just write it off and let's tear it down. I, I, whenever there's like pick obligations that are outgoing, I mean, I I, I get it. You want to hold on to that if you can, but it, it, it realistically, there's not a lot of they don't have enough control over conveying it or not to to really do anything at this point. So, like, it, it you you've sort of you sort of made your decision on the pick and like, look, if they can get a bunch of picks, because they also owe a 25 first that's protected, I think top 10 for several yeah. years to the Spurs. So it's like, you know, your route out of this is tricky. So you're going to need to stockpile a few extra kind of, you know, options to, to rebuild if you can. This next one comes from unbiased Pistons fan. What does a player have to do to win most improved player a second time? Like if Siaka took a high level MVP leap, would he win? If it is possible, who could do it? Or is it the fact that Giannis never won twice proof that it will never happen again? This is a like, I went back and I thought there has to be somebody, I swear I remember talking about or like, you know, pitching someone to win it again. I just couldn't remember who it was. I think it's super hard to do it because the leap is usually so big in, in the, in the theoretical first most improved win that it's hard to really, you know, make one that it's almost like voter fatigue too to make a second leap that's big enough to really get attention because probably you've jumped up to close to all star or you know all NBA level to to justify it the first time and just there's not really any place to go from there. Um, a couple guys kind of as I was looking at it, so Tracy McGrady in 2001 won it. He went from 15 to 27 points a game when he moved to Orlando. Uh, and then a couple years later, he really did level up again, led the league in scoring at like 32.1 was super efficient. And at the time 
it was, is McGrady better than Kobe? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was all team McGrady at the time. That feels like blasphemy, but I thought he was the best player in the league at the time. Um, so that would be one. Like, I think Desmond Bain, if he had won it last year, there's all these ifs because he went from like nine to 18 a game last year. I think he finished fifth and Morant won it. Had he won it and then had he stayed healthy this year because he's made another leap, maybe. But that just illustrates how hard it is because now I'm talking about a guy that didn't win it a first time. Right. My last guy before I throw to you, Jeremy Grant is like my favorite hypothetical. He's never won anything, never been an all-star, never anything. But he basically has had like four iterations of his career where in OKC, he started one game. I got the years all mixed up. This is, you know, several seasons ago, averaged 20 minutes a game, couldn't shoot at all. And then he goes to 77 starts the next year, shoots 39% is a five position defender. Like that version of Jeremy Grant, where he's like, he's a small ball center that can guard everyone and shoot 39%. Didn't win it that year. Then two years later, he goes to Detroit and is a first option scorer and averages 22 a game. Like those are the kind, like if you totally reinvent yourself, more than once i think that's a better path to get there than just getting better at the thing you're already sort of good at but i don't know how you do it i don't think it's possible i don't think it's possible either and even just talking about how hard it is to win one Mm -hmm. as a as an entrenched player like because look at like steph curry's unanimous mvp season like why wouldn't he have won it in that year yeah and so i think once you win it you're like that award has turned into kind of star hunting for the next star. And so your, your thought, your point about reinvention is so salient. It would have to be, I think Desmond Bain's a good example or Jeremy Grant just because he reinvented himself so many times. But again, how is Jeremy Grant viewed if he already won most improved player? Yeah. Uh, but it would have to be a Desmond Bain like situation where, Oh, they won it in year two. Like where if De'Aaron Fox, remember there was the push for him to win it in year two that he won it. And then he all of a sudden turned around and had another nuclear season where he levels up somehow. I do think at least, a majority of us are will think deeply enough to understand that they're the types of leaps, like from rookie to sophomore or sophomore to third year, like that leap is easier because there's more runway for you to improve than it is to make the leap from star to megastar. So mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's also just like, I feel like once you win the award, you're almost taken out of the running. And I didn't go back and look at past voting results, but like who is someone that won and then finished like in the top five or top, I think the, is the ballot five on that one. It might be five or three. Um, and then finish like even in like consideration for it. Yeah. You take yourself out by winning it once. Cause you, the leap is so big. It, it's just, it, there's, there's nowhere else to go. There's not enough room to get better that second time. It has to be like, if Giannis had won it for his, you know, leap from like, wow, this guy's really good to, Oh my God, he's like the third best player in the league all of a sudden. And then if he had a season, like a couple of years later where he shot like, 45 percent from three on high volume like then we're talking but so yeah if but here's the question so let's say next year Giannis averages between seven and nine assists per game while shooting 38 plus percent from three on five attempts per game doing everything else that he's done would you even predict that he would win most improved player i would predict he should because that's like that's (laughs) that's not just you went from 22 minutes a game with a low usage to like now you have the keys that's different that yeah that's so that should be like what the but no he probably wouldn't because he would win mvp and maybe he has a player of the year before he would win which is wild to really think about that you can win he's won multiple mvps (laughs) <laughs> and he's won a defensive player of the year award. And it's wild to think that he's still more likely to win out both of those awards again 
than the most improved, which is just like, it's harder to branch out your game as you get deeper into your career. But I'm just curious as to whether even that pronounced of an improvement in the way he plays or his efficiency would even but get like convince enough people to vote for him because yeah. they might be, Oh, he's too old now. Like he's right. been in the league for a decade. He's not improved. They're just asking him to do different things. It's right. Not, he's the same guy. <laughs> yeah. We knew he could do anything. Yeah. That's a good, that's a fun question. Uh, how about you take us out of here and I will finish up the rest of the questions in our part two. Uh, let's, you mean you want me to read the question? You want me to do the outro and outro. actually get us out. All right. Yeah. Dan, get you out on time for a change. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so everybody, thank you for listening. We encourage you, plead, request that you, uh, humbly request that you continue to like, subscribe, follow us on socials. Uh, they're posted here on the video. Uh, keep providing mailbag questions. We love, we love doing these. Um, we'll do some hotter knots again, I'm sure, but these are always great. Um, and this is, you know, a podcast that we do cause we like to do it, but we also like it because, we can give listeners and viewers what they want. And that's a cool aspect of it. So five stars, everything, tell your friends, uh, please continue to listen, continue to provide good ideas and we'll keep doing it. So uh, before we go, we have some apologies to make to Jared Allen and some shout outs to Frank Nilakino, greatest human on earth who hit a three last night, which I saw with my own two eyes. And in N1. And yep, he's a great player. He's just needed an opportunity. So we'll take you out. Double shout out, Frank Nilakino, you the best.